Well, good morning, East Campus. Yeah, it's good to be here with you. Uh, my name is John, and I serve as the community groups pastor at Parkview Church and do a bulk of my work at Central Campus, uh, but occasionally get to come down and hang out with you guys. And just, I love every minute uh, of the time I spend here. So uh, last weekend, I was with my community group uh, watching the Super Bowl. It was awesome. We, we had the best food at this Super Bowl party. I, I swear, I, I think about having a food competition with our community groups, because I think we would nail it. It's the best. Wings, nachos, tons of desserts. My wife makes these famous cookies. I probably had like four or five of them. Uh -huh. that, that's probably a lie. I probably had 12. <laughs> but anyways, we were watching the Super Bowl, and I was telling some people in my community group about the time my dad helped set up the stage at the halftime show. Uh, he somehow got into this group that volunteered to set up the stage at the halftime show for the Super Bowl. And it was down in Dallas when we were in Dallas. So we spent the whole week with my dad as they were gathering, trying to figure out how to put the stage together. The funny thing was, Madonna was doing the halftime show. And my dad is like the least likely candidate to be a Madonna fan. Like if you knew him, you would realize how funny that is. But my dad is such a fun, go-with-the-flow kind of guy. He was actually trying to get into her music. And so we were talking with them, and it was just, it was a blast to hear him try and get into Madonna's music. You know, uh, right or wrong, I, I always think of Madonna like the Michael Jordan of music. You know, everyone knows her name. Uh, you could probably name a few of her songs. You could travel across the world and people would know who you're talking about if you said the name Madonna. She is very successful in her industry and has a huge legacy in music. And that's why everyone was surprised when she shared a letter with some of her fans admitting her battle with deep insecurity. In 2002, she wrote, You may look at my life and think that I live a charmed existence. I'm rich and famous, I have a great career, but you would not be looking at the whole picture if that was all you could see. I, too, have moments of deep weakness, moments of deep insecurity, she said in another interview, it's probably one of her most famous quotes, I think my biggest flaw is my insecurity. I'm terribly insecure. I'm plagued with insecurities 24-7. All of us can relate to insecurity. Maybe it's your body, the way you view yourself, what you wear or how much you weigh. Or maybe it has to do with what you do for a living. Or maybe what you don't do for a living. Insecurity plagues us all. I can remember uh, one night a few uh, months ago when I was flipping through Facebook, probably when everyone else was asleep, the lights are out, and I came across a picture of a friend's from high school's wedding. As I was flipping through the pictures, I noticed a picture. And this picture had everyone from my old high school friend group, except for me. And I was like, why didn't I get invited? What's wrong with me? What did I do? Did I do something? 
We all know that feeling when there's a crack in the perception of ourselves, when we doubt ourselves. Are we good enough? We're an insecure people living in an insecure culture. And so if you can't look to yourself for security and you can't look to the culture for security, where are you going to look? The good news of this passage this morning is that Jesus is offering you real security forever. And so let's go to the Bible for help. Turn with me to Mark 10. We've been doing a series in Mark and we come to an awesome passage, Mark 10. And I'm really excited to get to study this with you. Let's read it together. Mark 10, verses 17 to 31. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again to them, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who could be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter said to Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Let's pray and ask God to be with us as we study his word. Father, we, um, we pause and acknowledge your presence here in this room by your spirit. As we open your word, we pray a special outpouring of your spirit. Would you season my words with truth? Would I disappear that you may be seen? And would you make us a people that are soft-hearted, that are tender to your words and your truth? Make us doers of your word and not just hearers. And nourish us afresh with more and more of Jesus. And I pray in his name. Amen. As we study this passage together, we're going to see how Jesus offers real security forever as we look at three things. 
the question we all ask, the only hope for security, and the costly reward of security. The question we all ask, the only hope for security, and the costly reward of security. Let's look at the question we all ask. In the beginning of this passage, we're introduced to a man. And from this passage and other parallel passages, there's a few things we learn about this man. First, he's rich. He's, he's wealthy. He's got great possessions. He's also young. He's eager and humble. He comes running up to Jesus and he gets on his knees with an honest question. Think of him like a Jewish McDreamy. This is a Jewish Derek Shepherd right here. He's young, he's handsome, everybody loves him, he's the best of the best. And he comes running to Jesus with an honest question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now this was a common question in first century Judaism. And he would have known the answer. All the rabbis gave answers to this question and they were all unified. Obey the statutes of God and avoid all sin. And this man had organized his whole life around that answer. He had obeyed everything perfectly. But something was missing. This man had it all, but he could not escape the insecurities that plagued him in quiet moments. And that's what brings him to Jesus. He comes to Jesus with his insecurities. And so another way to phrase this question is where will I find a cure for my insecurities? And this is the question that we all ask every day with the little things and the big things. Where will I find a cure for my insecurities? Many of you probably remember the Tom Brady interview that went viral in the Christian community uh, a number of years ago. But Tom Brady was in an interview on 60 Minutes or something, and he basically said, I have it all. I got all these Super Bowl rings. I got a pretty wife. I got a big house. But there's got to be more than this. There has to be. And what is he saying? He's saying, I have not found security in all the stuff I have. I have everything, but it has not made me secure. Everybody is asking this question. Christian or non-Christian, everybody is seeking a cure for insecurity. Some people look to health, wellness. Some people look to dominance in their work. Other people maybe look to their social life or their friendships or a spouse. But ultimately, these things don't last. They cannot provide real security. Because people get old, right? I mean, let's be honest. People get old. Health fades. The next generation breaks into the workforce with a new mindset and new technology. And people will fail you. We all know this. Here's, here's the beauty of this passage. It says that Jesus loved him. This man came to Jesus with his insecurities and Jesus looks at the man and he loves him. 
Isn't that great? You can go to Jesus with your insecurities. And Jesus loved him enough to answer his honest question. And he says, look, you lack one thing. Go sell everything you have. Give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. Jesus is addressing this man's greatest problem because what this man was doing is he was depending on his wealth for security. And there was a whole belief structure in the first century around this idea about wealth. It was believed that wealth was a sign of God's favor, God's blessing. And there are Old Testament passages that lay a foundation for such a belief. But this belief was taken too far in first century Judaism. And wealthy people were put up on a pedestal and viewed by the community as uniquely favored by God. And so if you were rich, it would have been really easy for you to look at your wealth and feel secure. And so when waves of insecurity came for the rich person, they would look at their wealth and say, God must approve of me, right? I must be accepted by God. He he gave me all this stuff. But Jesus is calling this man to give all that up. He's calling this man to give up the very thing that had provided some sense of security. Now here's the wisdom of Jesus in this passage. Insecurity is evidence that you are depending on the wrong thing for security. This man was depending on his wealth, and Jesus says, you're insecure because you're depending on your wealth for security. And so he offers his diagnosis, but Jesus also offers something else. And it's so easy for us to miss this. He says, give up all your money, give away all your possessions, And come, follow me. He's inviting this man into his inner circle. Jesus did not invite everyone into his inner circle. This was a privileged position only reserved for the twelve. But Jesus loves this man enough to invite him into intimacy with the real son of God. Because Jesus is the only hope for real security. And he's inviting this man into it. He says, you're insecure because you're depending on your wealth. I am the one who can provide real security because I am the Son of God. And this is the invitation before everyone this morning. That we can go to Jesus with our insecurities. And he will provide real security forever. And so Jesus presents himself to the rich young ruler, but the risk was too great. The rich man couldn't do it. And in verse 23, there's a shift in audience. As the rich man leaves, Jesus turns to his disciples and teaches and warns them against the dangers of wealth. And so as I was studying this passage, it's very interesting because on the one hand, this passage really isn't about money. It's about underneath the surface. 
It's about dependence. But then on the other hand, it is about money. Jesus makes some strong warnings against wealth and the temptations of wealth. And there's two layers in this section. There's a warning and a reality. A warning, how difficult will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? In a reality, it's impossible to enter the kingdom without God. So let's look at the warning. Jesus is not teaching that it's a sin to be rich. But he is warning us about the deceptive dangers of wealth. Wealth has a very sneaky way of creating a false sense of security. Because it, it breeds a culture of performance, achievement, and power. Culture of strength. It's the we got it covered attitude. We don't really need God for anything. And of course we don't admit it, right? That would be terrible if we admitted that. But functionally, we don't need God for anything. We don't need to depend on him for anything. I've got a healthy 401k. My future, my retirement is secure. We got it covered. I've got a great cushion in my savings account. So if anything happens, I lose my job, we have a tragic accident, we're good. This is that sneaky, deceptive infection that wealth can have on our hearts. And again, Jesus is not saying don't have a good savings account. He's not saying don't have reserves in the bank for when bad things happen. But he is saying we must be vigilant to remind our hearts that that's not where security is. It's gone in a second. And we see this in the rich man's story. We see this in Madonna's story. We see this in Tom Brady's story. They're all left with insecurity. Now there's a second layer to Jesus' teaching in this section, and it's a reality. The reality is that it's impossible to enter the kingdom of God without God. This is what he's saying with the whole camel thing. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. He's basically just saying, it's impossible for a rich man to get into the kingdom. And the disciples are thinking, if the rich are out, if the favored ones of God are out, then who's in? Who could be saved? And Jesus makes his point in verse 27, with man... It is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. No one enters the kingdom by way of performance and achievement. You cannot achieve your way into the kingdom. You cannot perform your way into the kingdom. The rich man is no closer to the kingdom than the poor man. Let me say that again. The rich man is no closer to the kingdom than the poor man. The only way into the kingdom is through Jesus. God in the flesh. And this is precisely what Jesus is trying to tell the rich man. If you look back in verse 17, the rich man comes to him and says, Good teacher. And Jesus rebukes him. And says, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. 
And he's not saying, don't call me good. He's saying, do you understand why you call me good? Do you get who I am? Do you see it? He's trying to prep the man, grab his attention to see the only hope for real security is standing right before him. And I, we really can't know how much information the rich man had. I'm sure he knew Jesus was performing miracles. I'm sure he knew Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah. But I do know that we have more information than this man. Because we look back through the cross, through the resurrection, and we're gathered here today because we testify that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. And he's inviting us this morning into real security forever. And so I don't know what your insecurity is. Maybe it is financial insecurity. Maybe you have tried so hard to build up all the reserves, but it's never enough. Maybe you try so hard to make your body look a certain way, or you just consistently feel terrible about the way you look or the clothes you wear. Maybe it's performance at home or in the workplace. And whenever you fail or whenever someone criticizes you, you lose, you lose your marbles. Jesus is inviting you to trust him for security, to depend on him fully. Now, the rich young passage, right before the rich young ruler passage, is another passage on the kingdom, and it has to do with kids. So the kids were coming to Jesus, and uh, the disciples were like throwing bows, trying to get the kids out of the way. Get, get out of here. Like, this is Jesus. You got no business talking to kids. And Jesus says, let them come. And he uses them as an object lesson. And he says, we must receive the kingdom like a child. Totally vulnerable. Totally helpless and powerful. Powerless. And that's why it's so hard for the rich man. Because they live, he lived in a position of power. A position of strength. Everybody loved him. He could do whatever he wanted. And that's the very thing that prevented him from entering the kingdom. He couldn't take that risk and become helpless and totally dependent on God for security. Now you might be sitting there and being like, preacher boy, you don't know. You don't know the insecurities I have. I can't sleep, taking pills. Like, you don't know how busted up I am. I shouldn't even be here today. And all we need to do is point back to the passage and look at Jesus. The man comes to him, and Jesus loved him. He didn't say, you fool, you're Jewish. Why don't you get this? You know the Bible verses. He doesn't shame him. He looks at him and he's honest with him and he loves him and invites him into this privileged position. It's so, it's so unbelievable. And lastly, Jesus clarifies the costly rewards 
for real security. In verse 28, Peter, you got to love Peter in the Gospels. Peter responds and says, look, we left everything and followed you. Kind of like a humble brag. Like, hey, this man, he screwed up, but we did it. (laughs) And Jesus affirms, likely probably interrupting Peter. He affirms the costly rewards of following him. And he says, to everyone who forsakes all to follow me, I will give a new life and a new future. But there will be suffering and there will be persecution. There's no way around it. Following Jesus does bring real security, the best kind of security, but it is costly. There's a very clear call from this passage to cross-bearing discipleship. And this passage is right at the end of a larger section that began with Jesus having this radical call to discipleship. In chapter 8, verses 34 to 35, he says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Jesus invites us into sacrificial discipleship. He invites you to give up your life, but he gladly rewards us with a better life in the kingdom. He says, yes, you have to give up this stuff, but I am way better, and life in the kingdom is way better. He uses this language of a hundredfold. Whatever you give up, to follow me, it won't even compare to the life you will have with me. Multiply it by a hundred. He's not saying you give up a hundred dollars, you can expect a check for 10,000. That's not what he's saying. He's saying life with me in the kingdom will be far better than anything this world offers you. Now, there's this notion in our culture that Christianity is basically just giving up all the fun things. And you got to live this boring life. You're a big square, I think is the way people would say. But this couldn't be further from the truth. God is always trying to capture our affections and get us to realize that life with Him is better, it's way better. A life filled with adventure, with hope, with joy. Hope that Jesus is making all things new. It's so cool. And we get to enjoy his presence forever. And so the cost is great. And we've got to recognize that. It should hurt. But the reward is greater. So, it, I mean, it stings when I see a picture on Facebook of my old friend group and say, I guess I don't have a place there anymore. It really does. But I can tell you that after eight, nine, ten years following Jesus, the life that he has given me is far better. And so we're in insecure people in an insecure culture. And Jesus 
comes to us this morning and offers real security forever. And so you're free. We sang the song. You're free to give up the false securities. You're free to give up wealth. You're free to give up your body image. You're free to give up performance at work. You don't have to serve those things. You don't have to live for those things. Jesus has offered us real security because he is the real son of God. And he is so worth it. He is so worth the cost. Let's pray. Father, um, we cling to the promise that your word goes forth and does not return void. And I pray that you would continue to make us a people who are quick to hear your word, who are quick to obey your word, who are quick to go out and live your word in the world. I pray for East Campus and the lovely servant-hearted people here. And I pray that you would renew them in Jesus this morning, that you would season their hearts with that awesome truth that he is better. He is better than anything this world offers. We love you and we trust you and we pray that you would help us do that on a day-to-day basis. Remind us of your spirit, remind us of your word, and remind us of Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.